0: Chapters 6 to 8 of Book 2 of Toilers of the Sea, Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Adams. Toilers of the Sea, Part 2. Malicious Gilliatt by Victor Hugo. Translated by W. Moy Thomas. Book 2. The Labour. Chapter six Gilliatt places the sloop in readiness This rescue of the machinery of the wreck as meditated by Gilliatt was, as we have already said, like the escape of a criminal from a prison, necessitating all the patience and industry recorded of such achievements, industry carried to the point of a miracle, patience only to be compared with a long agony a certain prisoner named thomas at the mont saint michel found means of secreting the greater part of a wall in his palliasse another at tulle in eighteen twenty cut away a quantity of lead from the terrace where the prisoners walked for exercise with what kind of knife no one would guess and melted this lead with what fire none have ever discovered but it is known that he cast it in a mould made of the crumbs of bread with this lead and this mould he made a key and with this key succeeded in opening a lock of which he had never seen anything but the keyhole some of this marvellous ingenuity gilliatt possessed he had once climbed and descended from the cliff at bois Rose. he was the baron trenck of the wreck and the latude of her machinery the sea like a jailer kept watch over him for the rest mischievous and inclement as the rain had been he had contrived to derive some benefit from it he had in part replenished his stock of fresh water but his thirst was inextinguishable and he emptied his can as fast as he filled it one day it was on the last day of april or the first of may all was at length ready for his purpose the engine-room was as it were enclosed between the eight cables hanging from the tackle blocks four on one side four on the other the sixteen holes upon the deck and under the keel through which the cables passed had been hooped round by sawing the planking had been sawed the timber cut with the hatchet the ironwork with the file the sheathing with the chisel the part of the keel immediately under the machinery was cut squarewise and ready to descend with it while still supporting it all this frightful swinging mass was held only by one chain which was itself only kept in position by a filed notch at this stage in such a labour and so near its completion haste is prudence the water was low the moment favourable Gilliatt had succeeded in removing the axle of the paddles, the extremities of which might have proved an obstacle, and checked the descent. He had contrived to make this heavy portion fast, in a vertical position, within the engine-room itself. It was time to bring his work to an end. The workman, as we have said, was not weary, for his will was strong, but his tools were, the forge was by degrees becoming impracticable the blower had begun to work badly the little hydraulic fall being of sea-water saline deposits had encrusted the joints of the apparatus and prevented its free action Gilliatt visited the creek of the man-rock, examined the sloop, and assured himself that all was in good condition, particularly the four rings fixed to starboard and to larboard. Then he weighed anchor and worked the heavy barge-shaped craft with the oars till he brought it alongside the two douvres. The defile between the rocks was wide enough to admit it. There was also depth enough." On the day of his arrival he had satisfied himself that it was possible to push the sloop under the durande. The feat, however, was difficult. It required the minute precision of a watchmaker. The operation was all the more delicate from the fact that, for his objects, he was compelled to force it in by the stern, rudder first. It was necessary that the mast and the rigging of the sloop should project beyond the wreck in the direction of the sea. These embarrassments rendered all Gilliatt's operations awkward. It was not like entering the creek of the man, where it was a mere affair of the tiller. It was necessary here to push, drag, row, and take soundings altogether. Gilliatt consumed but a quarter of an hour in these manoeuvres, but he was successful." in fifteen or twenty minutes the sloop was adjusted under the wreck it was almost wedged in there by means of his two anchors he moored the boat by head and stern the strongest of the two was placed so as to be efficient against the strongest wind that blows which was that from the south-west Then, by the aid of a lever and the capstan, he lowered into the sloop the two cases containing the pieces of the paddle-wheel, the slings of which were all ready. The two cases served as ballast. Relieved of these encumbrances, he fastened to the hook of the chain of the capstan the sling of the regulating tackle-gear, intending to check the pulleys. Owing to the peculiar objects of this labour, the defects of the old sloop became useful qualities. It had no deck, her burden therefore would have greater depth, and could rest upon the hold. Her mast was very forward, too far forward indeed for general purposes, her contents therefore would have more room, and the mast standing thus beyond the mass of the wreck there would be nothing to hinder its disembarkation. It was a mere shell, or case, for receiving it, but nothing is more stable than this on the sea. While engaged in these operations, Gilliatt suddenly perceived that the sea was rising. He looked around to see from what quarter the wind was coming. CHAPTER Seven: Sudden Danger The breeze was scarcely perceptible, but what there was came from the west a disagreeable habit of the winds during the equinoxes the rising sea varies much in its effects upon the Douvres rocks depending upon the quarter of the wind according to the gale which drives them before it the waves enter the rocky corridor either from the east or from the west entering from the east the sea is comparatively gentle coming from the west it is always furious the reason of this is that the wind from the east blowing from the land has not had time to gather force while the westerly winds coming from the atlantic blow unchecked from a vast ocean even a very slight breeze if it comes from the west is serious it rolls the huge billows from the illimitable space and dashes the waves against the narrow defile in greater bulk than can find entrance there a sea which rolls into a gulf is always terrible it is the same with a crowd of people a multitude is a sort of fluid body when the quantity which can enter is less than the quantity endeavouring to force away there is always a fatal crush among the crowd a fierce convulsion on the water as long as the west wind blows however slight the breeze the douvres are twice a day subjected to that rude assault the sea rises the tide breasts up the narrow gullet gives little entrance the waves driven against it violently rebound and roar and a tremendous surf beats the two sides of the gorge thus the douvres during the slightest wind from the west present the singular spectacle of a sea comparatively calm without while within the rocks a storm is raging this tumult of waters altogether confined and circumscribed has nothing of the character of a tempest it is a mere local outbreak among the waves but a terrible one as regards the winds from the north and south they strike the rocks crosswise and cause little surf in the passage the entrance by the east a fact which must be borne in mind was close to the man-rock the dangerous opening to the west was at the opposite extremity exactly between the two douvres. it was at this western entrance that gilliatt found himself with the rex durande and the sloop made fast beneath it a catastrophe seemed inevitable there was not much wind but it was sufficient for the impending mischief before many hours the swell which was rising would be rushing with full force into the gorge of the douvres the first waves were already breaking this swell an eddy of the entire atlantic would have behind it the immense sea there would be no squall, no violence, but a simple overwhelming wave, which, commencing on the coast of America, rolls towards the shores of Europe, with an impetus gathered over two thousand leagues. This wave, a gigantic ocean barrier, meeting the gap of the rocks, must be caught between the two douvres, standing like watch-towers at the entrance, or like pillars of the defile. Thus swelled by the tide, augmented by resistance, driven back by the shoals, and urged on by the wind, it would strike the rock with violence, and with all the contortions from the obstacles it had encountered, and all the frenzy of a sea confined in limits, would rush between the rocky walls, where it would reach the sloop and the durande, and in all probability destroy them. A shield against this danger was wanting. Gilliatt had one. The problem was to prevent the sea reaching it at one bound, to obstruct it from striking while allowing it to rise, to bar the passage without refusing it admission, to prevent the compression of the water in the gorge, which was the whole danger, to turn an eruption into a simple flood, to extract, as it were, from the waves all their violence, and constrain the Furies to be gentle it was in fact to substitute an obstacle which will appease for an obstacle which irritates gilliatt with all that dexterity which he possessed and which is so much more efficient than mere force sprang upon the rocks like a chamois among the mountains or a monkey in the forest using for his tottering and dizzy strides the smallest projecting stone leaping into the water and issuing from it again swimming among the shoals and clambering the rocks with a rope between his teeth and a mallet in his hand thus he detached the cable which kept suspended and also fast to the basement of the little douvres the end of the forward side of the durande fashioned out of some ends of hawsers, a sort of hinges, holding this bulwark to the huge nails fixed in the granite, swung this apparatus of planks upon them like the gates of a great dock, and turned their sides, as he would turn a rudder, outward to the waves, which pushed the extremities upon the great douvres, while the rope hinges detained the other extremities upon the little douvres next he contrived by means of the huge nails placed beforehand for the purpose to fix the same kind of fastenings upon the great douvres as on the little one made completely fast the vast mass of woodwork against the two pillars of the gorge slung a chain across this barrier like a baldrick upon a cuirass and in less than an hour this barricade against the sea was complete and the gullet of the rocks closed, as by a folding door. This powerful apparatus, a heavy mass of beams and planks, which laid flat would have made a raft, and upright formed a wall, had by the aid of the water been handled by Gilliatt with the adroitness of a juggler. It might almost have been said that the obstruction was complete before the rising sea had the time to perceive it. It was one of those occasions on which Jean Bart would have employed the famous expression which he applied to the sea every time he narrowly escaped shipwreck—'We have cheated the Englishman, for it is well known that when that famous admiral meant to speak contemptuously of the ocean he called it the Englishman. The entrance to the defile being thus protected, Gilliatt thought of the sloop he loosened sufficient cable for the two anchors to allow her to rise with the tide an operation similar to what the mariners of old called Mouiller avec des embossures in all this gilliatt was not taken the least by surprise the necessity had been foreseen a seaman would have perceived it by the two pulleys of the top ropes cut in the form of snatch-blocks and fixed behind the sloop through which passed two ropes, the ends of which were slung through the rings of the anchors. Meanwhile the tide was rising fast. The half-flood had arrived, a moment when the shock of the waves, even in comparatively moderate weather, may become considerable. Exactly what Gilliatt expected came to pass. The waves rolled violently against the barrier, struck it, broke heavily, and passed beneath. Outside was the heavy swell, within the waters ran quietly. He had devised a sort of marine ferculi cowdini. The sea was conquered. Chapter eight. Movement RATHER than Progress The moment so long dreaded had come. The problem now was to place the machinery in the bark. Gilliatt remained thoughtful for some moments, holding the elbow of his left arm in his right hand and applying his left hand to his forehead. Then he climbed upon the wreck, one part of which, containing the engine, was to be parted from it, while the other remained. He severed the four slings which fixed the four chains from the funnel on the larboard and the starboard sides. The slings being only of cord, his knife served him well enough for this purpose." the four chains set free hung down along the sides of the funnel from the wreck he climbed up to the apparatus which he had constructed stamped with his feet upon the beams inspected the tackle-blocks looked to the pulleys handled the cables examined the eking pieces assured himself that the untarred hemp was not saturated through found that nothing was wanting and nothing giving way then, springing from the height of the suspending props onto the deck, he took up his position near the capstan, in the part of the durande which he intended to leave jammed in between the two douvres. This was to be his post during his labours. Earnest, but troubled with no impulses, but what were useful to his work— he took a final glance at the hoisting tackle, then seized a file and began to saw with it through the chain which held the hull suspended. The rasping of the file was audible amidst the roaring of the sea the chain from the capstan attached to the regulating gear was within his reach quite near his hand suddenly there was a crash the link which he was filing snapped when only half-way through the whole apparatus swung violently he had only just time sufficient to seize the regulating gear the severed chain beat against the rock the eight cables strained the huge mass sawed and cut through detached itself from the wreck the belly of the hull opened and the iron flooring of the engine room was visible below the keel if he had not seized the regulating tackle at that instant it would have fallen but his powerful hand was there and it descended steadily when the brother of jean bar peter bar that powerful and sagacious toper that poor dunkirk fisherman who used to talk familiarly with the grand admiral of france went to the rescue of the galley Langeron in distress in the bay of embleteurs endeavouring to save the heavy floating mass in the midst of the breakers of that furious bay he rolled up the mainsail tied it with sea reeds and trusted to the ties to break away of themselves and give the sail to the wind at the right moment just so gilliatt trusted to the breaking of the chain and the same eccentric feat of daring was crowned with the same success the tackle taken in hand by gilliatt held out and worked well its function as will be remembered was to moderate the powers of the apparatus thus reduced from many to one by bringing them into united action the gear had some similarity to a bridle of a bowline except that instead of trimming a sail it served to balance a complicated mechanism erect and with his hand upon the capstan gilliatt so to speak was enabled to feel the pulse of the apparatus it was here that his inventive genius manifested itself. A remarkable coincidence of forces was the result. While the machinery of the Durande, detached in a mass, was lowering to the sloop, the sloop rose slowly to receive it. The wreck and the salvage vessel, assisting each other in opposite ways, saved half the labour of the operation. The tide, swelling quietly between the two douvres, raised the sloop and brought it nearer to the Durande. The sea was more than conquered. It was tamed and broken in. It became, in fact, part and parcel of the organisation of power. The rising waters lifted the vessel without any sort of shock, gently and almost with precaution, as one would handle porcelain gilliatt combined and proportioned the two labours that of the water and that of the apparatus and standing steadfast at the capstan like some terrible statue obeyed by all the movement around it at the same moment regulated the slowness of the descent by the slow rise of the sea There was no jerk given by the waters, no slip among the tackle. It was a strange collaboration of all the natural forces subdued. On one side, gravitation lowering the huge bulk, on the other, the sea raising the bark. The attraction of heavenly bodies which causes the tide, and the attractive force of the earth, which men call weight, seemed to conspire together to aid his plans. There was no hesitation, no stoppage in their service. Under the dominance of mind these passive forces became active auxiliaries. From minute to minute, the Work advanced the interval between the wreck and the sloop diminished insensibly the approach continued in silence and as in a sort of terror of the man who stood there the elements received his orders and fulfilled them Nearly at the moment when the tide ceased to raise it, the cable ceased to slide. Suddenly, but without commotion, the pulleys stopped. The vast machine had taken its place in the bark, as if placed there by a powerful hand. It stood straight, upright, motionless, firm. The iron floor of the engine-room rested with its four corners evenly upon the hold. The work was accomplished. Gilliatt contemplated it, lost in thought. He was not the spoiled child of success. He bent under the weight of his great joy. He felt his limbs, as it were, sinking, and, contemplating his triumph, he, who had never been shaken by danger, began to tremble. He gazed upon the sloop under the wreck and at the machinery in the sloop. He seemed to feel it hard to believe it true it might have been supposed that he had never looked forward to that which he had accomplished a miracle had been wrought by his hands and he contemplated it in bewilderment his reverie lasted but a short time starting like one awakening from a deep sleep he seized his saw cut the eight cables separated now from the sloop thanks to the rising of the tide by only about ten feet sprang aboard took a bunch of cord made four slings passed them through the rings prepared beforehand and fixed on both sides aboard the sloop the four chains of the funnel which only an hour before had been still fastened to their places aboard the Durande the funnel being secured he disengaged the upper part of the machinery a square portion of the planking of the durande was adhering to it he struck off the nails and relieved the sloop of this encumbrance of planks and beams which fell over on the rocks a great assistance in lightening it for the rest the sloop as has been foreseen behaved well under the burden of the machinery it had sunk in the water but only to a good water line although massive the engine of the durande was less heavy than the pile of stones and the cannon which he had once brought back from erme in the sloop all then was ended he had only to depart chapter eight of book two Recording by Paul Adams, com